After that epilogue done by me, this is Danny Kugler with Danny's Chop Shop, and I have a very special first guest here. He's been in the wrestling business for 30 years, and he has promoted, wrestled, you name it, he's done it. Been a fan, and he's a frequent guest on the Between the Sheets podcast. He's like their third co-host. Um, he's promoting Kingsport. He's king of Kingsport. He is Bo James. Yeah, thanks for having me on here, Danny. Looking forward to this. I've been looking forward to this for a while now. Um, but I wanted, before I ask my rhetorical question, and we sort of explore this rhetorical question, I wanted you to talk about the efforts, um, to help Don and Sandy Wright. Yeah, you know, I don't know how familiar your listeners are with East Tennessee wrestling history, but before 1975, there was two offices in Kingsport. There was the Knoxville office and the Kingsport office. The Knoxville office ran by the Kazanas, and the Kingsport office was Mickey Barnes mainly, but over the years, a few different people Mickey had it from the late 40s to the mid-60s, and then Lester Welch and George Grant had it, and then after that, Ron Wright, Don Wright, and Whitey Caldwell, the three biggest stars, took power and ownership of the territory. And, you know, you can't go anywhere here in East Tennessee and talk about wrestling that Ron Wright, Don Wright, and Whitey Caldwell do not come up with older wrestling fans because they set attendance records here that will never be broke, that have stood now for 50-plus years. Wow. Uh, TV ratings that will never be broke that have stood for 50-plus years. Whitey has been dead for 47 years. He was killed horribly in an auto accident. A drunk driver hit Whitey on his way home from a wrestling match in 1972, and 47 years later, wrestling fans still go put flowers on Whitey's grave. So that tells you how big of a deal that they were here. Um we lost Ron in 2015. Don Wright is the only one left of the that that trio, and he is a treasure to this part of the world and a treasure to our profession. And July the 4th, the house that that Sandy owns, that uh, her and the grandchildren, they children they live in it there. Sandy was married to Buddy Fuller, Ron and Robert Fuller's father. He she was his second wife their stepmother, and after Buddy had died and after Don's first wife had died, Sandy and Donnie got married, and they raised five of the grandchildren because of another horrible incident, another tragedy in the family. And July 4th, lightning hit the house. It burned it to the ground. They lost everything they owned, the clothes, their appliances. There's nothing left of the building or anything that was in it other than a few charred boards and some blocks. So Saturday night, August 10th, at the Model City Event Center, uh, 201 East Center Street, downtown Kingsport, next to WKPT's TV and radio station. That's where the Model City Event Center is at. We're going to have a big night of wrestling there, plus an auction. We've got a lot of old-time guys sending in stuff from their memorabilia, from their collectibles. We're going to auction a lot of stuff off there that night. So if you love wrestling, you love wrestling history, you want a chance to get your hands on something, there's the night, there's the place to be, and every dollar that comes through the door 
every dollar at the auction goes to their family to help rebuild their lives. The kids start school that week. They got five kids from kindergarten to high school, and it's just it's a work in progress to restart seven lives that were changed in a matter of an hour. And you know, a lot of people have already donated to the GoFundMe. A lot of people have already. Uh, did donations here to local wrestling matches, and it sounds like a large number of over $10,000, but when you realize the insurance is not going to pay enough to rebuild the house that they lived in. So if it's not going to rebuild the house, it's not going to buy a blender, a microwave, a TV, a couch, uh, children's clothes, children's shoes, a bed, or any of that stuff. So every dollar raised. They need it, and they need it now. Saturday night, August 10th, downtown Kingsport is the place to be. And if you live outside of the area, uh, they have a great GoFundMe set up, the friend of theirs set up, that you can make a donation for there. Just look for Sandra Wright, House Fire. And um, David Fixon's band uh, had a tiny URL, uh, com slash Don Wright GoFundMe, all one word and a flash in there so yep there we go so if you're outside the area and you, you can donate if it's five dollars if it's a hundred dollars whatever it is we gladly appreciate it um yeah it's such a tragedy um just like just like any house fire is a tragedy and it's just unfortunate that what are the odds and it happens to them yeah, and the odds of how it happened, lightning hit the power box on the side of the house and sent a power surge through the house. Their light fixtures and plug-ins exploded, so it wasn't like the fire started in one place and spread. It started everywhere and just burnt together. Thank God no one was hurt. Yeah, they luckily they were gone. Blessing they were gone. They went on the 4th of July swimming and camping trip. So... We have that, um, but to to transition into something a little more positive, even though the rallying efforts are positive around Don and Don and Sandy Wright's fire, um, I I sort of had this concept in my head, and I told Bo this. And Bo's going to give me a pretty entertaining answer to this, but we're exploring why Bo James loves pro wrestling. And this is the question that I'm going to ask every guest of Danny's Chop Shop. Why does so-and-so love pro wrestling? Well, here, here's what old-timers would tell you when I started. If you came to them and said, hey, I want to get into wrestling, they would say, why? It's fun. I want to make money. It's this. It's that. I want to make it my artwork. Whatever. They would tell you, if you have an answer, then it's wrong. Because really? the, pe the people that truly are drawn to it, the people that truly want to be a part of it, the people that will live in their car, that will go homeless, that will ha be shot at by wrestling fans, who will be in riots, who will give anything and everything to be a wrestler cannot answer that question. And 
That is the bombshell of all bombshells. We call and, it in the business the sickness. Yes, and I believe I have that sickness, and I know a damn well Bo has that sickness because you've been in the business for 30 years. You started promoting when you were 15 years old. 14. 14, so 31 years in this business. You have done it all. What has been, like, the lessons you have learned from pro wrestling? Uh, oh, well, easily the, the biggest one that you learn is everything is a work. <laughs> Life is a work. Everything on television is a work. Every sporting event is a work. Uh, the smarter you get to the wrestling business, the smarter that you get to life in general. And I started so young, so early. My eyes were open to so much stuff in an early age that, you know, I thought, man, this is nothing that we've ever been taught. And, uh, and you see stuff. You learn to see how the magic is done. You learn to see how the con is ran. You learn to see who, who the flim flam is running the scam. You learn all about the gaga. And it just comes from being around people that are smart to life and smart to the world. And I, I love the fact that you said there's no answer to why you love pro wrestling, even though to some people it is. It is an acceptable answer because I have a hard time describing what pro wrestling is. To this yeah, well, day. Yeah, well, here's the problem with it. And this is what makes it so hard. What pro wrestling is today is not what it was when I fell in love with it 40-plus years ago. What pro wrestling is today is not what it was when I got involved in it 30-plus years ago today. Right. What pro wrestling today is now is not what it was a year ago or two years ago. And what it will be in a year or two is not what it is now because it is forever changing now. We live in a digital world. We live in a social media world. We live in a world where the wrestling fans think that they run the business. We live in a world where they think they have a say-so in what goes on. We live in a world where they opened it up so much, there's no putting the toothpaste back into the, right. into the tube, and it's all messed up. Right. But there's still that sickness there that people risk their bodies, people... Um, work their asses off for crowds and for and there are some fans who are so passionate about it that including myself that I want to learn more about it I want to learn the history I'm a rare breed I'm 23 years old and I'm interested in learning wrestling history and interested in all the stories and that's why I listen to stuff like 605 and uh, Between the Sheets. It's more because I have that sickness. Yeah, it, you're, you're born with it. You know, it, it's, uh, I, I'm the second of three generations in my family involved in pro wrestling. I have cousins that wrestle. I have a wife that wrestles. I have nephews that wrestle and referee. My mom and dad promoted towns. I had uh, cousins of their generation that were wrestlers and referees. So, I mean, it's, it's my earliest memories of life are 
watching wrestling with my granny on Highland Street in Kingsport. And, and I mean, it's just, it's been a part of my daily life since birth, it feels like. And it has been also with, with my nephews and nieces. And you can't explain it to people from the outside. You surely can't explain it to a casual fan of why you would get in the car, drive 300 miles, bleed like a stuck pig, get in the car and drive back home 300 miles to get up in the morning and go 250 miles in the other direction and do it all over again. They'll never understand that. You know, nah. you take you take an ordinary person. If they're going to go on just the road trip, last Wednesday and Thursday, I did 800 miles in two days. If they're going to go on that trip, they're going to go get their tires checked. They're going to get their oil changed. They're going to, they're going to do this and that. I got up that morning, I drove there, I put the ring up, I tore the rifle, tore the ring down, came back home, slept for four hours, got up, and did it again. And, you know, no thought to it, because it's just what I've been doing since I was 14 years old. How did you, your family was predisposed into wrestling, and this is where you and I differ a little bit, because... I my family never was into it. I switched the channel one of these days, and you're mesmerized, and then you become sick. My and that, uh, my mom and dad didn't get involved in it until I got involved. Uh, like I said, I had older cousins, and my grandmother used to point out to me on television that the referee Zach Murray, that's your cousin right there. And Melvin Johnson, who was Melvin's an in-law, he was married to Zach Murray was my mother's second cousin. Melvin Johnson was married to my dad's first cousin, so he was an in-law. So the two cousins, one was by blood, one by by marriage, but they were on TV every week. And my granny would point that out. There's your cousin. There's your cousin. So I always thought that was pretty interesting. And uh, both of them got out of the business in, in early to mid-80s. Um, and you know, they never smartened none of us up because they protected the business to the grave. And, uh, tomorrow, as we record this tomorrow is the 31st anniversary of me meeting Johnny and Davey Rich and Scott Armstrong. Wow. I met the, I met those three guys right after a, a week after my 14th birthday. I just, turned 45 last week. My mother was booking them because my mom was working for Walmart in promotions and she was booking them in the grand openings and different things at the Walmarts because Walmart was still a new thing in East Tennessee within a couple of years. So my mom had booked them at a Walmart. We went down there. I met them. Uh, they're being nice to me because my mother's booking them in places that they're selling a ton of pictures and T-shirts in and making a ton of money. So they're going to be nice to this kid. And a few weeks after I had met him, I'm in Knoxville hanging around, and Ron West, the general manager of Continental Wrestling, the territory that Ron Fuller started, comes walking through, and Davey Rich says, hey, Ronnie, give this kid a job. He loves our business, and he's always around. And Ron West never stopped walking. He's just walking. He turned, he looked at me, and he said, I was about his age when I started. Two days later, he called my mother and asked my mother if he could hire me to work 
the East Tennessee towns. Wow. And I, that, I started promoting towns, selling programs, putting the ring up, selling pictures, whatever they wanted me to do. That's how I started. Fifteen years old, I'm in a town in McPheeters Bend, Tennessee, just a small rural community in Hawkins County, Tennessee. And the referee has not shown up at bell time. And I'm sitting at the table selling tickets, and the guy promoting the town comes out and says, do you think you can referee? And I looked at him, and I said, you know, maybe when I grow up one day or something, you know. He said, I mean, now, we'll pay you. That's how my in-ring career started. <laughs> That's ridiculous, man. Like, like, I, 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 I knew I loved this, um, and I wanted to seek it out, but I never knew how, because you, you even with, with with the internet and stuff like that, it's hard. It's hard to get into the business. Yeah, here's the problem now too. Going back to it ain't yesterday no more. Most of what is said on the internet involving the wrestling business, even by people in the business now, is not correct. True. Guys use words and stuff now that. We never use. They're, they're internet words that fans came up with because they didn't know the true words. So there's only a handful of people left in the world that speak wrestler. There's only a handful of people in the world that, that are truly understanding of the ways the old days were. And sadly... These guys now, most of them, 90-plus percent of them, don't care about the history of the business enough to learn it, to pass it along, and it's going to be dead. When my generation is gone, what we loved and what we fell in love with, what we were part of, it's gone forever. And that, in a nutshell, is sad. Because, because there is something to be said about, oh, we can see all the wrestling we want now, we can, but the toothpaste is totally out of the tube. You know, and yeah, I love wrestling, and I love history, and I love going back and learning about, like, like different guys and different stuff. But there's not good. Once this generation dies off, who am I going to ask? Right. That's why there's some of us writing books and doing the documentaries and trying to. Because whoever lives longest will write history. And if it's left up to the WWE, it will be wrote wrong. If it's left up to the generation of guys now working the independence, it won't be wrote at all because they don't care. They, they think the business started in the Attitude Era. You know, in the city that I was born in, Kingsport, I live outside the city, but I consider it my hometown. I live in a small community called Fall Branch outside of Kingsport here in East Tennessee. The newspapers go back 103 years. The very first newspaper that saved has an advertisement for a wrestling card in it. 
wrestling has been here in my part of the world for well over a hundred years. The city parks in Johnson City and Kingsport were paid for by money raised by the wrestling matches because the city put the wrestling on every week and 20% of the door went to fund the Parks and Recreation Department. Same thing in Knoxville. Same thing in a lot of other towns throughout these mountains. And we're intertwined. We're a cultural part of this part of the Appalachians. Not just not just a sporting event, but just the culture itself. If you say Ron and Whitey, people know who you're talking about. You know, if you say the club-footed Inferno, they know who you're talking about. But when that generation of fan and wrestlers dead, like you said, it's gone forever. And the young guys don't care. They don't know the history and how important wrestling is to the cities all over the country. They don't know how important that wrestling was. They, they, they totally look at it different now than we looked at it years ago. And I think um, as a modern fan, um, a lot of this is for the word. But it's inter- I, I like the outwardness of pro wrestling now because I get to talk to guys like Bo Games. I get to talk to, hear a guy like Jim Cornette tell stories and stuff like that. I think that has gotten better, and I think... Um, well, I, I think it's got 100% worse. I think it has totally got 100% worse. But the reason that guys like Jim Cornette and myself have finally came out and, and talk openly about the business, because if we don't, the history is well. going to be lost. There, there was wrestling fans here, a, a lady named Helen Hensley, who went to wrestling. She died in the late 90s. She had scrapbooks that were unbelievable of pictures results, programs, I mean, piles of scrapbooks and stuff that she got at the wrestling matches and cut out of the newspapers. She was more of a historian than anybody in the wrestling business at at that time. And I would love looking through the stuff she would bring to the wrestling matches. She kept the history alive, and she was not smart for the business. But just like the generation of wrestlers that is dying out, the generation of fans are dying out. So we have to come out now and speak about this. I hate it. I hate that it's open. I hate that people openly talk about it. My grandmother lived to be 95 years old. My granny that I sat on her lap as a baby and watched wrestling. Never, not one time in my life did I ever tell her it was a work. Wow. Never, um, never did I admit to my uncle that took me to the wrestling matches with my dad when I was a kid. It was a work. And that that's passion right there because... Well, I was told when I started at 15 years old, what goes on in here stays in here. If you speak to anybody about what happens here, your mother, your father, anybody, they'll find you floating in a river. And if you look around the dressing room, it was mean-looking men with scars and cauliflower ears. You believed what they were telling you. You, you. You're in a generation 
and you have a passion for the old days and you want to learn about it, most most people your age don't care. But you're of an age that your entire life you've been told it's entertainment. Your entire life you've been told it's predetermined. Yes. I was in the business for six months before anybody ever gave me a finish. I was told to count. Five on a five count on an illegal hold, five count on the ropes, ten count on the floor, three count if they're down. It was their job to make sure they broke the hold or kicked out. They did not tell me it was a work. How I finally got smartened up, I had been around long enough that everybody assumed that I was smart, and I blew a finish. And I came back from the ring, and I had three men waiting on me that I thought were going to beat me to death. And they sat me down and told me. That's how protected the business was. Um, my question is, uh, um, do you think... With the outwardness of information now, even if the tube was in the toothpaste, do you still think wrestlers would care to protect it? If it still was like when I started? Yeah. These guys wouldn't have got into business. There was no wrestling schools. You paid, they beat you up, broke your bones, ran you away. You left and told everybody it's for real. You had to be born into the business. You had to be recruited to the business because of a background that you would have that was different than anybody else's, like Doug Furnish in Knoxville was recruited because he was a football player at the University of Tennessee, and he was legit the strongest man in the world at one point with 18 weightlifting records. They recruited him for the business. Or you started like I did, like Ronnie West did, like Randy Hales did, Bobby Simmons, right. so many other guys. You got your foot in the door as a kid, and you had to earn their trust. Then they trusted you enough to do it. If you were under 200 pounds, you had no chance of being a wrestler, unless you were a rare uh, exception to the rule. A lot of these guys that people watch now and love would have been a referee 30 years ago because that's all, the only chance they would have had to have got in the business at their size. You guys were talking about um, what was the referee in the ladies between the sheets that, what, that was working under a mask and how, like how like tall was he and how late, late he was. I, I, Mark Curtis. Mark Curtis was, uh, he was about 5'8", 150 pounds. Holy mackerel. 150 pounds at, his, at most. And I'm just shocked. I'm just like, I don't, I, I like the fact that it's open, but I don't at the same time. It's weird because I have people. Um, well, here's something else. 
the thing about Mark Curtis, Mark Curtis was one of the most talented wrestlers in the world. He could get in and out of any hold. He could do any high spot. He could do anything. He had the mind for the business. But he never got the opportunity to shine as a wrestler other on independent shows because he was too small. Today he would be some kind of champion, which he rightfully should have been because he was talented enough to be. But it's a different day and age. Um, yeah, and I understand, like, businesses evolve and... Now like that hasn't evolved, it's changed. It's changed. Um, and, like, like, when you first saw Vince McMahon... When did you first see Vince? Um, Vince's brand of wrestling. Uh, when I was about... Seven or eight years old, I went to spend a week with my granddad who lived in uh, up near the D.C. area, not far from D.C., Richmond area, and they got the uh, WWWF on the uh, station out of, uh, I think it was out of D.C., one of, those, one of those areas up there in Virginia. Right. That was the first time that I saw it. What were your initial impressions? Of I hated it. And I was super fan. They they said, here's the world champion, and it was Bob Backlund. Harley Race was the world champion to me because I was an NWA fan. I saw NWA wrestling on TV every week. I went to the live matches. I didn't yeah. understand it was a different different territory, different system. I, I have an appreciation for Bob Backlund now because of years of trading tapes and watching him. Yeah, and like it, it's hard. It's hard for like a lot of the silence is not because I'm not interested in what you're saying and I'm not <laughs> like disagreeing with what you're saying, but it's blowing my mind in a little bit. You know what I mean? Because it's like. I, I've grown up, I became a wrestling fan in 2004, you know. I had stopped watching wrestling by then. And, like, I started watching older stuff. I haven't, it, this has been, like, a real, like, recent, like, impetus for me. Like, like, 2014 is when I became a super, super fan. And... I just thought it was the way it is. And then slowly but surely I started to realize like there's a history to this like everything else. Yeah. And like I I see some of the merit in modern wrestling and we di we disagree on some of the things. But it's like I agree that the wrestling business has gotten worse because everyone Things they know what it is. Yeah, and they they've never lived the life. They've never traveled the miles. And and it, I don't hate on the boys making a living and what they're doing now. God bless them, man. They're great athletes. They're they're much the generation of guys now 
are much greater athletes than what I grew up on and the generation before that and before that. It's just a completely different business now. It's presented different. It's shown different. It's, it's portrayed different. It's done different. And I never tell anybody, don't watch it. If you love it, love it, man. Watch it. Because that's your passion. That's what you love. That's what you grew up on. It's not what I grew up on. It's not what I was a part of. So I'm disconnected from it. There's guys out there that I like to watch, you know, that I've that I've know that I've seen come up in the business, like AJ Styles. I've known him since early in his career. Uh, Becky Lynch, uh, her first weekend in America, she managed me in a tag match with a couple of guys in Seattle against uh, Harry Smith, T.J. Wilson, and Tom Pritchard, and a couple of guys. Ten man tag. She was in our corner. Uh, she came and did a seminar that me and Tom did in Seattle. So I met her her first weekend in America. I'm so happy for her, so proud of her, what she has accomplished. Same thing with AJ. Uh, Jamie Noble. I knew Jamie Noble from his, the second match that he ever had, and it was great to watch his rise and his run in the in the late 90s and early 2000s. And You know, he's still working there in the office. I'm so proud of him. Uh, a lot of guys. I've worked with a lot of guys that, you know, that, that was their dream. My dream was to never go there. My dream was to be a regional star here in where I live in this part of the world. And because my heroes were the regional stars here, and I've got to do that. I have been on TV since I was a teenager. I can go just about anywhere within a couple hundred miles of the house, and people know who I am. Uh, but I've also been blessed to wrestle in Atlantic City, New Jersey, Cleveland, Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, Portland, Oregon, Seattle, Washington, Salt Lake City. I've got to travel the country and do, do what I love. Right, and that's what it comes what, down What part of Pennsylvania are you from? I'm from Philadelphia. Um, okay. I'm right outside of Philadelphia. So what I do... I, I've gotten into like the production end of pro wrestling a little bit. Um, yeah. I studied video production. I, I'm a college dropout, but I, I studied video production in high school and in college, and I hooked up with the Monster Factory. Okay. Nice to learn. Yeah. And I've been to their camps and seminars, and Danny has been nothing but gracious to me. Um, and like, like I enjoy being a a small part of wrestling i'm i know i'm never going to be in a ring or or doing a re or refereeing but the small part i am a part of i'm proud of you know the most important part of wrestling and and they always shortchange themselves because they always say the same line to me i'm just a fan and I say, no, you're the most important person in this building. Because if there wasn't a fan base for what we do, we wouldn't get to do what we love. Amen. If there wasn't, you know, my wife and I wrestled at a county fair in West Virginia. We stood in the ring after the matches last Thursday night for almost an hour, taking pictures with people that stood in line in the heat to get their picture made with us. I made sure that we thanked each and every one of them. You know, if we were taking pictures, Ricky Morton was beside the ring signing eight by tens, and we both had a long line. 
and Ricky doing the same because if it wasn't for the fans, we wouldn't get to do this. And how long you know, have you known Ricky, by the way? Uh, I met Ricky in nineteen eighty nine. So wow. what's that? Thirty years. And it wasn't between the sheets this week for many Ricky Morton stories. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've got many. Uh, I probably. Other than Robert, I probably have more than anybody. And I, I just enjoy, like, hearing people read it. And, and the generation doesn't like, our, my generation, unfortunately, doesn't like reading books. It's all instant gratification. And sometimes I suffer from that, you know. Sometimes I want it now, and... And I deal with all this stuff. But, but there's something to yearn about waiting for it. Yeah, you know, I, I started researching wrestling here. I'd always studied it growing up. But in 1995, I started going to the library and looking up cards in the newspapers. And, uh, you know, I've been doing that now, what's that, 24 years? Um, and I have such a database of everybody that ever wrestled here in East Tennessee, and I, I'm doing East Kentucky and Southern West Virginia now and working on that because I want the history to be told and be told correctly and be done right. And, you know, it's just a – some of us have a passion for that. Some, my wife is bored to tears when she goes to the library with me if I have to go look up stuff or find out something. You know, it just, she doesn't have that passion. Uh, but I have a wrestling fan here, uh, Kenny Short, who who's, he's older than me and he's been going to the matches all of his life like I did. Kenny will go to the library with me sometimes. So Kenny will go on his own. And, you know, Kenny has a passion for that. And if, if there's stuff that I don't know about here, before my time, Kenny's the person I'll call up and say, hey, Kenny, tell me about this guy or about this event. Were you there? Were you ringside? And he has a great memory. You know, so Kenny's a tremendous help to me to make sure the history's told right. And so is Ron and Don Wright. You know, Ron's gone now, but Ron would sit and talk to me for lengths at a time to make sure we got the story correct and make sure that the right people got the right credit for everything that went on. It's, you know, but... You know, who knows, 30 years from now, somebody may be doing the same thing with, you know, Impact Wrestling or Ring of Honor or, or WWE or whatever. But they will have such a easier time doing it because we live in the digital age. The video will still be around. The, the information on the Internet will still be around. It, it will be a whole lot easier for them to do it. What have you th thought? I, I, I like to ask older wrestling fans this, and fans who are fans of, like, Hidden Jack. What are your thoughts on, like, some of the stuff that has come out over the past few months with, like, wrestling footage and stuff like that? Are you amazed? Oh, no. But, uh, trading tapes, I've been trading tapes since the mid-'80s. You know, that that's a long-gone thing now, but I've got such a library of video. We've always said, the guys of us that traded, that there's stuff somewhere that, we have no idea. There's people have stuff now that there's just 
it's laying around in a box somewhere that they have no idea where it's at and stuff is still being found. Uh, I knew that Atlanta stuff was around because my friend Bobby Simmons told me about when he worked for Barnett, they spent two or three weeks going through the tapes and the films and marking them and, and making sure they were saved. And then, so we knew they were saved. We knew they were still around. They're just now seeing the light of day. And I'm glad it is because it's a chance for people to, to see what it was like. And some of those clips I've enjoyed. I enjoy watching some. I know you have an affinity for Memphis wrestling and and you worked in Continental and like. I worked in Memphis too. I know you worked in Memphis. Yeah. My, my, I got a funny story because my, I was in the car with my younger brother who's a more of a casual fan. And we were listening to Between the Sheets because I was just bored and you were on. And he and he's like, this guy is so compelling, dude. My brother told me that you were so compelling. <laughs> it, it, it's a passion that I have to make sure that it's told and saved and that people get it out. And, uh, you know, that's why I like doing these podcasts so we can talk about stuff that that your casual fans don't know about. It's something we can talk about that, that even true fans of today don't know about. You know, the, the problem, I'm a huge baseball fan. That's my escape every day. I'm sitting here talking with you now because I'm going to watch the Cubs late tonight because they're on the West Coast. I know who Anthony Rizzo is, but I also know who Sammy Sosa is. I know who Andre Dawson is. I know who Jody Davis is. I know who Ron Say was. I know who Ron Sano was. I know who Sandy Koufax oh, I, was. I, I, I totally I know understand baseball that. history because I'm a fan and I've watched it all of my life and I've always read up on it and read up on the players that I've heard my dad talk about. My dad's a big baseball fan. My, my grandpa was a huge uh, baseball fan. So was my grandmother. You know, so... I've always had that passion, too, not just for wrestling, just anything that I, I'm interested in. I want to know the history of it. And younger people don't have that, that desire. I, I've always had that desire, no matter what interest I've had. I have the baseball interest. Um, I have the sports interest. And I know, like, players and... I study up on games and stuff like that because I'm a fan and I like learning. Um, you never people feel like they're never going to learn anything new. Now, right. that's all out there for us. But it's like it it goes back to the problem that you laid out in this. People think they know it all. They think what's going on now is the only part that's important. We learn from the past. Here's something else I don't understand about the fan of today. If you dislike it so much, why do you watch it? If all all you're going to do is complain on social media, find something that makes you happy. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. 
I, like, I, I don't get that. The people will spend money to travel, to see it, buy tickets, buy the merchandise, and before they're home, they're on social media about how terrible it is. They'll make sure that they're home in time to watch it on TV. Then they'll sit there as they sit and watch it. They complain about it. You know, we live in the... I, I have an Amazon Fire Stick. I get TV channels from all over the world. There's something out there you can find that you like. Yes. You know, I, I, I don't get that that part of the fandom now. It just That blows my mind. It blows my mind too, but I'm not. I'm less shocked by it because I've been exposed to it. Because it's like, but I I look at things positively, and if I don't like something in wrestling, I just don't watch it. That that's exactly me. I, I watch. I'll check a few minutes of modern wrestling out a week, not much, but I'll look at something. I go, I like that, or I go, I don't like that at all, so I'm not going to watch any more of it. You know. And that's the end of it. That That's the end of it. You know, if I see something I like, I tell people, hey, I saw this guy. He's pretty good. I liked it. I liked what he did. I see what they're doing. I like that. You know, if I see something I don't like, I just simply say, it's not my, my deal. It's not my cup of tea. You may enjoy it. Check it out. I want people to watch wrestling. I want people to like it no matter what it is. Yesterday, today, or years to come. I want people to watch it. I want the business that I fell in love with and have been a part of all my adult life, I want it to continue, and I want people to love it. Yeah. And you're you're innately scared that it, it's not going to survive because people have such vitriol. Yeah, there will always be a form of it. You know, there, it, it will always be around. But it will forever be changing now because they're trying to make people happy. You know, Instead of making people feel the emotions. And that's something I like about Lance Russell. Um, Lance Russell's the greatest wrestling announcer of all time. In my opinion, in your opinion, just the greatest. Um, He's head and he shoulders above feel. everybody. Not to take away from... And there's great Les Thatcher, Gordon Soley, Bob Cottle, all these other, Frank Boheme, all these other great guys from other territories. They were great, but I just think Lance was the best. In, like, the, the I know there's, like, tons of Memphis out there, but in the, like, and I've only watched a minuscule of it because I like keeping up with modern. I like to watch classic. It's hard now to watch everything you know oh yeah there's so much out there now you can't <laughs> randy hills told me that the amount of wrestling that he watched over the weekend and i said randy how in the world did you do that <laughs> I, I can't. Um, sometimes sometimes i feel like how did i do this and i do a weekly show where i cover like the modern goings on and some of the stuff i let my co-host cover because i don't like it and and I admit that I have a blind spot there because I, I'm predisposed to not liking it. Um, and um, I just think I just think Lance made you feel, and especially in that clip this week during this smoke, I when I I was listening to the Between the Sheets with you and Randy on and. 
just like that that one and one over a minute and a half like cry for help by Lance. Yeah. With some of the most compelling stuff I've ever heard in wrestling. Because it was presented as real. It was real. Because here is these outsiders beating up the hometown boys, and here's a man sitting there thinking, if they're put out, we're put out. If they lose their job, we lose our job. Somebody has to stop this. Somebody has to help us. Yeah, and it and it's it's just interesting to see like emotions that wrestling has invoked people over the years. Riots. Yeah, I've been in several. I've been I was shot at by guys. Guy shot at me three times. Holy mackerel! I've had what year was this? This was in the mid nineties in, in my hometown. Shot at me outside the building. One one bullet went so close that it cut the hair on the side of my head. You're a lucky man, my friend. Yeah, I'm blessed. Uh, I've had old men come at me with pocket knives. I've had fans come at me with broom handles. I've had them pick up chairs and throw them and try to hit me with them as I leave the ring. I've had cups of pee thrown on me. I, I've had to wait in the building for an hour for the people in the parking lot to leave because they wanted to fight after it was over with. That's a raw emotion that is gone forever. Every now and again, we still can get it out of them in, in small mountain towns, but as a whole, that that, that is gone. Um, yeah, and a lot of it's gone. Um, I still think in-ring storytelling is there, but but it's hard to find. Well, it's, it's a different story being told now. It's not yes. It's not good versus evil. It's just two characters or two personalities. It's not outsiders invading your hometown heroes. It's not right. your local sports hero of Whitey Caldwell is in trouble because the mad Russian is coming. My God, what is going to happen when this, if this Russian hurts Whitey? What are they going to do? We have to be there this week to make sure Whitey's all right. We got to be there this week to cheer Whitey on, because if we cheer for him, he'll fight harder. Yeah, Tommy, Rich, Tommy Rich has a chance at the world title. We have to go. If we yell and scream enough, and we'll fire him up, and he might have a chance of winning. And if he doesn't win, we'll scream louder. Yeah. We'll be mad. And, and and we'll come back next week because we know he'll get it done next week. It's changed. It's definitely changed. And it's it's it, it's amazing to see even the slightest bit of change sort of letting the cat out of the bag, sort of let everything go by the wayside. It's just, it's a whole new animal now. 
Um, It's completely different. Yeah. Um, Who are some of your favorite? Who are some of your favorite guys you share a ring with? Oh gosh, so many. Uh, (laughs) I'm not name dropping. I'm just stating facts here. Jerry Lawler, Bill Dundee, Brian Christopher, Rock and Roll Express, Tracy Smothers. Jimmy Golden, Mongolian Stomper, uh, guys like that that a lot of wrestling fans know about because they're legendary names. But then there's guys like Brian Logan and, and Ricky Harrison and, you know, Crunch the Equalizer, guys that are from here in my part of the world that I worked with for years. Uh, you know, there's just so many. I, I've been blessed to work with so many great guys and so many guys that, you know, that I watched growing up, that I got to be in the ring with and learn from and travel with. Then so many guys that, that were like me, like Ricky Harrison, that we never imagined that as, as kids that we would be wrestling our heroes, you know. And uh, it's just, you know, I've lived a blessed life to get to work with so many greats and some that people know and some may not know about. You know, that's one of the reasons that I started my streaming network because I wanted people to see, you know, the Roger Andersons and the Frank Parkers and the Ricky Harrisons and, and the Christian brothers and the death riders. And these guys that, that helped me along the way and helped me make a living. And they never really got a national spotlight or anything other than being in the results in the pro wrestling illustrated. And, you know, we have videos up of, all throughout our 28 years of existence with Southern States Wrestling on the network, it became a work of, it started to, I started the network so my great-grandnephew, or my grandnephew, grandniece, they could see my career after I'm gone because their moms and dads got to grow up and watch it. But then it became a work of love so people could see these guys that I just mentioned, plus Mike Sampson and Steve Flynn and, and GQ Stratus and Alex Shane, all these other people that were such a part of our our family business, such a part of my life. And it's become a work of love to share this stuff with everybody. Uh, I just today put up a card from 1993, July of 93, when I was a referee. I was wrestling some, but I, I didn't. I started wrestling in Knoxville and other areas before I started wrestling at home because I wanted to have some matches. I didn't want to you know, be a failure my first night out, my first match in my hometown. So I would still ref here uh, probably probably six, eight months, maybe even a year before I started wrestling here locally at home. I was wrestling other parts, uh, other areas. But, you know, I'm refing that event from 93, and there's a lot of guys on there that, that I broke in with, and I just sit and watched it today and thought, man, we were just kids with without a clue. <laughs> but we learned along the way and in some of us in the first match is uh, a guy that wrestled for me known as Skyfire who went on to wrestle in WCW as Jason Jett and he was easy money in ECW and he had a developmental deal after WCW for a while with with WWE you know and he started within the same time that I started and, and you know did well for himself and I've just I've been blessed over the years to get to to work with so many greats. I mean, and, and people that I watched on TV that I never would even thought I would even get to know. 
like the Moon Dogs. I raffled them. You know, like Dundee, I raffled and traveled with Dundee. Been to his house many times. He's been here and stayed. He came and spent Christmas with me and Misty a few years ago. You know, so, I mean, it's not just I've got to wrestle with them. I've got a relationship with them. i got a friendship with them. Ricky Morton, one of my, one of my best friends in the whole world. Someone you probably never thought in a million years like, this guy is, and like with internet, it's easier to have those connections with people, but it's also harder because people don't know how to communicate. Well, a lot of people think that, you know, I talked to him on Facebook, so we're friends. <laughs> These are people yeah. I've shared rooms with, shared the car with, shared the dressing room with, shared the ring with. You know, I, I just, I look back and go, wow, man, look at look at what all I've got to do over the years. Yeah, and even in my short time in this, in the industry, like, some of the things I've, some of the people I've gotten to talk to, like Dr. Tom and Kevin Kelly, and, like, I'm grateful to know people because, know people who are wrestlers and stuff like that because they make me better people. Right. I've known Tom Pritchard since my first day in the business. I talk to Tom pretty regular. He he lives about eighty miles from me. He's a great cat. He, oh yeah, he's hilarious. Oh, he's hilarious. One of the best, and, and one of the best in the ring over the years too. That yeah, know, most of his career. He, he, you know, he had two runs in WWE, but most of his career was in the Southern Territories or the Pacific Northwest. So a lot of people not had the chance to see it. What are some of your favorite territories not named Kingsport that you worked for? Not named, not in the Tennessee area, obviously. Uh, well, I mean, the the only two true territories that I worked was working for Continental, and that was not in the ring. That was, you know, selling merchandise, ring crew, that kind of stuff. And then I wrestled in Memphis and in the Memphis Territory, refed a few times in the Memphis Territory, too. Uh, but I worked for Independence all over. I worked in Portland, Oregon. I loved that. Never thought I would work in Portland. And we went out and worked for Lynn Denton when he was trying to get Portland wrestling going again. I loved it out there. Uh, I worked the Ohio fair circuit for Bobby Fulton uh, a few summers where he would run the county fairs in, in towns in Ohio, and I learned a lot working there, working with Bobby every night. And I either wrestled Bobby Blaze, Bobby Fulton, or Tracy Smothers about four or five nights a week every summer for like three years. And every now and again would wrestle with Ricky, too, on those towns. Learned so much there early in my career. Um, I wrestled all over the Carolinas in the 90s. Always had a great time working over there. I got to see the rise of the Hardy Boys. I met met Matt and Jeff when they were just kids breaking in. You know, got to see their pretty much their full career of when they started and when they got their break and, you know, till now. Uh, you know, just... It's, I've just wrestled just about everywhere. <laughs> you know, 
for a lot of people. And, and you know, not, not too many places that, not too many areas that I didn't like wrestling because I was getting to do what I, what I love to do. Um, you know, now there may be some towns here and there that I didn't care for the actual town or community that we went to for whatever right. reason. But, uh, but this know, is I, not a negative podcast, so. Yeah. So it's like, I don't like dwelling on negatives because I just feel like the reason why I started this podcast, and I sort of touched on it in my epilogue that I pre-recorded before I got on the phone with you, is because life is too short um, to hold grudges, to um, to let people go by the wayside. And I just want to talk to people that have, have similar passion to me. And that's that is liberating to me that I got to talk to you, yeah, that I, you're such a beacon of knowledge. Um, I, I look at this, too, even the bad towns. I learned something there. Maybe it was just simple as the fact to never go back there again. <laughs> you know? right. But I learned something that day. So every day's a test. You either pass or you fail. And I failed a lot. But, but so have I. The good is the good is out outweighed the bad. Yeah, and that's and it's hard because I I've dealt with like a lot of mental health issues in my life and a lot of things. I I didn't have an ideal like what card, but no one has. Some people get to live their dreams, and. I, I feel like I'm living my dream. Um, in a way, I get to do a radio show uh, at a college that people accept me. Um, even though even though I'm trying my best to like live my best life, it's what wrestling has taught me is not not that everything everything is a work, you know. You learn that pretty quickly um, yeah. in wrestling. Um, yeah. One of one of my one of the worst things that I've had to deal with in the business was not anyone else's fault other than mine, but addiction. You, you think, well, I'm I'm living the life of a wrestler. There's there's periods like now doing this streaming network where I put tapes in to digitalize and I start watching and I go, man, look how messed up I was right there on drugs. Or I go, golly, I don't even remember this at all. And that's because pharmaceuticals and bowler makers, you know, it's by the hand of God and the love of my wife that I'm alive. But now I get to go back and watch it. And I go, you know what? I made a lot of mistakes, but I survived. I made yeah. a lot of mistakes, but I still do what I love. Now I get to tell these young guys when I see them, I say, listen, don't do as I did. Do as I tell you. I'm trying to help you. I've been there. I've seen it. I've done it. I lived it. Right. And and I'm sorry. Go on. Yeah. I mean, I, there, there's many times over I should have been dead. <laughs> From getting shot at by a wrestling fan, two car wrecks on the road, uh, you know, stuff that I did to myself, 
And I just had to get to the point where I said, okay, enough is enough. This has got to stop. And then it took a long time once it stopped to reverse what had been done. Yeah. And I'm trying to reverse what I've done in my past by not not taking advantage of people. Not like, you know, not like taking advantage of people, but like, like taking advantage of like, you have all these resources, resources for you and you have people here to help you and you still continue to dwell in your past and everything like that. And you never think because you're living your dreams. Um, and this is, this gets emotional for me because I, um, my grandmother, um, um, is close, I don't want to really say it, it's close to dying soon because of her cancer spreading. And I don't know, like, what the future holds for her. I don't know how much time I have left with her. And it's hard to accept that we have, we are, we are, we have a lot of two things in common. We are human and we are mortal. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going through issues with my, with my, both of my parents because I've reached the age to now where they're, they're elderly and they have health issues. And, uh, my, my dad was a Marine, highly decorated Marine Vietnam. He was, he's the only surviving member now of his unit. He can, he can barely walk now. He has all kinds of health issues. And last night when I put the event I was talking about a few minutes ago from 1993, I saw my dad walking, standing up straight on that tape. And I thought, man, look at that. Time goes by. Yeah, it goes so mm. quick. It, you know, 30, 31 years I've been making towns in and I, I have been on the road for 29 to 30 of those years. I mean, full time on the road. I spent my summers on the road. I, I finished high school because I knew there was no way my parents were going to let me quit school to be a wrestler. And I, I finished high school. But my senior year of high school, I was in the ring probably four nights a week, still going to school, summers all the time. You know, some of that stuff I remember like it was yesterday. Some of it I have no memories of, and some of it seems like it was a million years ago. And I, I, I watched that last night, and, it, you know, I realized how quick time has went by. And yeah. I, I cherish what I've got to do. I love what I've got to do. I've lived an unbelievably stupid, crazy, blessed life. I mean, <laughs> I've got to... I've been in magazines. I've, I've, you know, Bill After put colored pictures of me in Pro Wrestling Illustrated. I've had write-ups in all the smaller magazines. I've been on TV in Portland, Oregon. I've been on TV in Memphis on that syndicated tape out of Memphis. I've been on TV all over the region that I live in. You know, it, it's just, it's crazy, you know. And, and everybody thinks I'm much older than I am because I started so young. And, you know, I'm not done yet. I still got many years ahead of me, many miles ahead of me. It's Lord right. willing. Um, and 
and it's amazing just to see see everybody's growth in in this industry and everybody you're a better person if you if you're a wrestler some people are bitter about it and some people some people will never get that um but most of the wrestlers I've encountered and most of the people I've encountered in wrestling are better people because of wrestling. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> knowing what I was when I was, I would have probably, well, no, there's no probably to it. I'd either been dead or in prison if it wasn't for wrestling. You know, wrestling kept me going. I had somewhere to be every day. I had something to do every day. I had, I had something to look forward to. I had something to motivate me. Luckily, I have things that can motivate me, and this is one of the things that motivate me, talking to people like you. Hopefully, I get to talk to people like, I've talked to people like Chris, and I've talked to people, I've talked to people from all around the world who are passionate about pro wrestling. I just want to do it more on a consistent basis, because I stop, start, I, I get anxiety about myself, and... It's one of those things where it's like people tell. It's not people tell you. Your voices tell you that you're not good enough. And it's like, yes, you are. Yes, I am good enough. And and I know we we're probably getting to like the uh, heebie-jeebies, like 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 all these talking about feeling stuff. But that's what wrestling teaches you. Yeah, well, <laughs> I come from a day and time when you had no feelings. You weren't allowed right. to show them at wrestling. You shut up and do what you're told. <laughs> you right. hold all of it in. You find a different way to deal with it. But, you know, you see stuff that along the way that, you know, blows your mind. I, I like telling the story. I got out of the shower one time and, and it, after wrestling and I could hear my two little nephews laughing uh, with their grown men now with their own families but uh, little Jake was probably two and a half years old and his brother was you know four and, and I hear him laughing and I look around the corner and there sits the Mongolian stomper the meanest man in the world the monster of my childhood nightmares him and the great kabuki gave me nightmares as a child and there is the Mongolian stomper sitting there with my nephew, one on each leg, and he's tickling their little bellies and talking to them and playing with them. And it was like, what kind of bizarro world am I in? But when, when I'm done with the business, when I'm done with the road, I have all these great memories in the ring. But the memories that mean the most to me, or ones like that. Ones like Ron Fuller calling me to ask if my little grandnephew Waylon had a good Christmas. Uh, you know, Brad Armstrong sitting on my couch watching football with me. You know, that's the stuff that I cherish. That's the stuff that I'm going to take with me. Ricky Morton being in my wedding. Uh, you know, it's just, I've lived a crazy, stupid, blessed life. And we're going to go to plugs now, because that's a perfect way to end this. <laughs> um, 
what are your plugs? People can hear you in a lot of places and see you in a lot of places. But yeah, um, I've became kind of the third host of Between the Sheets somehow. <laughs> uh, I'm on there pretty regular with David Bixon's band, Chris Elder. So, uh, I've had know. Chris on my show before in a different iteration. Yeah, good, good guys. I enjoy guy. talking to them. So you check me on there. I'm on Randy Hill's podcast, uh, Memphis Memories with Randy Hills. You can look that up too. I'm on there quite often. Randy and I are starting a Patreon in August, uh, where it's called It Ain't Yesterday No More. And each month we're going to do a two to four hour show and we're going to talk about our lives in wrestling and, and how it was then compared to what it is now. And not, and not in a negative way, just, just an educational and entertaining way so you can learn more about what wrestling was when we came up and how we loved it and, and you know, what we did and, and are still trying to do to keep the history alive. Uh, so you can find out more about that when we get closer to it launching. You can follow me on Twitter at King of King Sport. Follow me on Facebook, facebook.com slash pro wrestler Bo James, B-E-A-U. Everybody misspells my name the first time. Um, follow my promotion, facebook.com slash southern states wrestling. And my passion, my I spend hours a week working on our streaming service. There's 105 videos up there right now. Uh, we launched it uh, a year ago this week, so we put 105 videos up in a year. New videos every few weeks. If you're a new subscriber, you get a seven-day free trial to check it out. Oh, then it's only $4.99 a month. It's Southern States Wrestling Network .com, and always good stuff on there. Full events, classic TVs, not just uh, not just from Southern States Wrestling. We have some stuff from Tennessee Championship Wrestling Independent right here in East Tennessee in the 90s. We have uh, TVs from Nationwide Championship Wrestling out of Ohio that I helped produce and direct in 2001. That stuff's going up all along this year. So there's there's always something on there. Legendary I, names like Sherry Martell, Jimmy Golden, Rock and Roll Express, Mongolian Stomper, Jerry Lawler. Um, gosh, so many more in the name that you can find on our network that is from our events over the years. If you're an old-time wrestling fan, you will absolutely love it. If you're a new wrestling fan, there's something on there for you, too, because the match where Becky Lynch managed me that I talked about is on there. Uh you know, Harry Smith is on there. There's something for every fan of every era on the network, southernstateswrestlingnetwork.pivotshare.com. And you can keep up with all my goings on at my website, which I'm getting ready to update as soon as I finish this here, kingofkingsport.com. Lots of great stuff on there. and You can keep up with my schedule on there as well. And, uh, you know, if you're out there at a wrestling event that I'm at, please come to the table and tell me that you heard me on this podcast or the between the sheets or, you know, whatever else that I do, because I always enjoy meeting people who support us and follow our careers and follow what we do. Me and Misty, my wife, she wrestles. We love meeting people out on the road. You know, it's, I was telling you about Digital World, Las Vegas, a few years ago. A man come up started speaking to me about my career and started talking to me about different things. And I said, are you from Australia? Because his accent, he said, no, New Zealand. 
And I said, how in the world do you know about us? And he said, I, I watch you online and I listen to the podcast. So, you know, that's cool that we're able to reach out all across the world. Uh, I've wrote three books, and I've got two more coming very soon. I Woo! wrote the, the first one, Do You Want to Be a Wrestler Kid? That's my autobiography. How you can hear the full story, how I got started at 14, the ring 15, became the boss at 16, my ups and downs in my life and in my career. Then the second book was called It Takes All Kinds, The People, Places, and Events That Make Pro Wrestling. That is a collection of short stories of 25 years on the road, and then coming on Black Friday or somewhere right there in the holiday season will be the third book about my life. It's called It Ain't What It Used to Be, and Neither Am I. And that'll be this, another book full of stories of the last 30 years in the wrestling business that didn't make the first two books. Then the one that started my research, the one that started me writing books and it took me the longest to finish out of the ones I've finished is called Don't Miss This The History of Pro Wrestling in Kingsport, Tennessee, 1960-69 Go week by week with the events, the newspaper articles, results that were available, everything that you need to know about the Ron Wright Whitey Caldwell feud and how they became legends right here is all in that book plus a hundred year history lesson on pro wrestling in East Tennessee is the first chapter of that book. And you can get them at kingofkingsport.com. I will gladly sign them for you. Misty will sign her pictures in them, and we'll send a DVD or two with them. Or you can buy them on Amazon or Amazon Kindle, and I appreciate it. And if you read them and love them, please give me a review on Amazon. Yes. And, Bo, you have been a great guest. For Danny Kugler and Bo James, Thank you for listening. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 